Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. It's great that you are here. And uh, this is really, you know, just a wonderful opportunity to talk about Jesus and the birth of Jesus. I mean, just think about it. Uh, this is just one incredible story. Just the story of Jesus' birth is an incredible story. And uh, think about the fact that you are participating with millions of other Christians around the world at this uh, time of the year where we focus on the story of the birth of Jesus, uh, how God could be fully God and fully human at the same time. I mean, this is a story which is so wonderful uh, at every level. It's wonderful at a kid level. It's wonderful at an adult level. And uh, there is part of the story which you just can't kind of get enough of and you just can't get your arms all around it. And it's also a story which has been told for 2,000 years. I mean, empires have come and gone. Uh, you know, kingdoms have come and gone. And yet the story and the, the believers and those that follow Christ and those that have experienced God and the reality of God has been consistent uh, for 2,000 years uh, in this, the story of Christ. So uh, I want to have a, a shot at uh, telling the story of Christ uh, again. Uh, and one of the challenges you have when you tell the story is where do you start? And actually, the challenge isn't only where do you start telling the story, the challenge is when do you end telling the story? Where does the story end, uh, the story of Christ's birth? And uh, so maybe you were here a few uh, weeks ago, uh, when Sarah and Stephen were preaching, uh, and Stephen last week did a wonderful job. If uh, you were here, you would have experienced uh, Stephen preaching essentially the story out of the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you're going to tell the story about uh, Christ's birth, uh, a good place to start might be in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, and you kind of gather the story from there. And... Uh, uh, Stephen was preaching mostly from the book of Luke and uh, did a wonderful job of looking at the birth of Christ uh, and starting with his cousin, John the Baptist, and how Elizabeth miraculously became pregnant, and then how Mary miraculously became pregnant. And you got the build-up of Christ's birth uh, through those you know, angelic appearances, and there's just so much... Um, wonder and awe, both about the impossibility and yet the reality of that story. And then if you were here a few weeks before that, uh, Sarah was preaching from the Gospel of John. And that is just like a whole other dimension of trying to look at the story. Because if you look at the beginning of the Gospel of John, it starts with Christ being the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And as Sarah was pointing out, it has a uh, reflection back to the book of Genesis of in the beginning. And then you realize, wait, the birth of Christ is tied to the beginning of creation. And then you have to start thinking about, you know, the big theological question about God being fully man and fully human and uh, wrestling with the fact that Jesus was never really created. He always existed and not only was he not created, uh, and that he always existed, uh, Jesus created the world. 
And so you read this unfolding of the, the story in the Gospel of John, and it's like, whoa, this is a big story. The birth of Christ. They're like, where do you start? Do you start at the beginning of creation? And the answer is, yes, you do. Because Jesus existed before anything existed, and he created the world. And you have to wrestle with that. And then in John chapter 14, we realize that the word that existed with God from the beginning is Jesus. And he came in the human form to represent God fully. Well, uh, if you wanted to jump into the gospel of Mark uh, and uh, preach uh, the uh, Jesus story, it would be a quick sermon. Because the gospel of Mark, you know, Mark is in a hurry. The whole gospel's in a hurry. Now, God, Mark is preaching to the Romans. Now, apparently, Mark didn't think that the Romans were interested in a little baby and the story of a little baby because the Romans were interested in empires and governing and controlling and leading and power, and that's what the Romans are into. So what Mark does, he does something really sneaky. He says to the Romans, he says, now I'm going to tell you about the coming of Jesus. But instead of saying anything about the birth of Jesus, he talks about John the Baptist. And he says, listen, this person, Jesus, is so incredible that John the Baptist came just as a way of announcing his kingdom. And of course, being talking to the Romans, he's talking about kingdoms and the king and capturing the attention of the Romans. And he says, let me tell you how incredible John the Baptist was. I mean, it was like predicted beforehand, uh, hundreds of years ago. And then he quotes uh, scripture about the, 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 the prophecies that John the Baptist is going to be a foreteller. He's going to be the one that's going to announce the coming kingdom. And then in quick measure, I mean, you're like only halfway through the gospel, and you, you already got uh, Mark quoting Jesus and he says, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. And this is what the kingdom looks like and you're in kingdom language. And before you can even finish the chapter, I mean, you know, hearing about Jesus, uh, picking his disciples and delivering people from demons, and you haven't even got out of chapter one. So how about the gospel of Matthew? Well, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And so what Matthew does is he really connects the dots. He says, let me tell you about all these prophecies that were predicted hundreds of years ago by many different prophets. And Jesus comes to fulfill all those prophecies. I mean, it's like to a Jewish audience, it's like mind-blowing because most Jewish people are expecting the Messiah. They know the, the signposts, they know the prophecies, and they're wondering how this could come about. And so Matthew is putting that all together. And he's talking about the birth of Christ. And of course, in Matthew's Gospel, he's emphasizing the kings. And he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus has become the Messiah. He is the king that's going to fulfill these prophecies. So this story, the Gospel, the Gospels, it's just such an awesome, awesome story. I mean, at a children's level, uh, you got Luke talking about, you know, the shepherds. They're out in the field, and, 
you know, these are sort of unsophisticated, uh, non-intellectual, uh, probably teenagers, just hanging out, you know, as shepherds, looking after sheep, but they get to be in on the story. And they get the experience of angels presenting themselves and saying, hey, listen, don't just have an experience of what I'm telling you. Go and see. Go and look at Jesus. Go and find him. You will find this young kid in a manger, and the angels get to experience the delivering this message to the shepherds. And the shepherds get to experience what the angels had said and the reality that it comes to pass so the kids can experience it. So at every level, the story is just absolutely uh, incredible. But the particular part of the story, which I uh, really uh, enjoy, and from an, an adult standpoint, it's like, wait, there is always like more to uncover in this. And it's more uh, both, yes, I understand it, and uh, no, I don't quite understand it. Uh, Jesus is just bigger and larger and God's doing more and it's all packed into the story and you kind of pick it up with uh, the, 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 the wise men coming from a distant land and you, and you realize like, wait, this story is multi-continental. Uh, you know, I mean, this is designed not only for Jewish people, but this is designed to people from different cultures. And God is appearing to the wise men and saying, hey, listen, use your intellect, use your brain, use what you're studying, use your field of expertise, and let me show you a star, and come and follow the star. And it's so awesome that like, they want to see it, they want to follow it, they've got to like, what is this all about? There's, there's something majestic and magical, and they'll actually get up and go and make the journey. But the thing that gets so interesting is as soon as they get into uh, Judea, King Herod gets wind of it. And he says, wait, a king? And all of a sudden, you start seeing these two themes. The theme of a king and the theme of the priest. But from a king's standpoint, King Herod is immediately alarmed. He is immediately threatened by this baby. Because King Herod is sort of a, he's, he's sort of half Jewish. He's like, a, you know what? We're so-called cultural Christians of our day where you kind of know the story, but you're not really into it. So King Herod, like, wait, wasn't there some sort of prophecy about a Messiah? He knew enough about that, and, and so he presses in because the one thing he doesn't want to be threatened with is his kingdom and he being the king. And so he's immediately on the attack, and he's like tells the, the wise Man, he said, listen, go find out all about him, knowing that he wants to kill Jesus right from the get-go. So you've got this unbelievable story where Jesus is born and immediately he's a threat to the king. He's a threat to the establishment. He's done nothing. All he's done is fulfill prophecies about him. And so at the same time, uh, just putting our adult brains together, we realize that, wait, Jesus is doing two things. He is going to be the king, but he's going to also be the priest. And while the king, Herod, is wanting to kill him, it was actually the priests that ended up killing Jesus, or at least handing him over to Pontius Pilate to be killed. 
And so we got the theme of the king and of the priest and of Jesus' birth and what does this all mean? And it sort of unpacks from there. It's just an incredibly marvelous story because it's a story that wasn't only then. It's a story about, okay, Jesus is still active today. Let me just pray and uh, let's look at one of those prophecies which is just so marvelous. Jesus, as we just contemplate and meditate and think about your birth, and we think about the reality of how so many things were prophesied beforehand, where you would be born was specifically foretold. So Jesus, we just ask for your presence to be with us right now, that we can experience your reality that we can know you, that we can understand the reason why you came to this earth, but also that we can look forward to your return. So Jesus, even on this day, I pray that you would draw to yourself those that might not know you, that they may come to know you, that those that haven't experienced your joy and the rock of your foundation in our lives, that they would experience that. We just lift up the service to you. I just lift up my preaching to you. Just put power on it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's a prophecy in Zechariah, which is really just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, prophecy. And Zechariah, written 500 years or 520 years to be exact, before Jesus is born. You know, just really a long time. And uh, when prophecies were given in the Old Testament, uh, they kind of had to make sense to the audience that they were being given to. But there were also, there was like a dual uh, delivery where it was also about a future um, message that was being given. And of course, here we're looking at the future message, which is about Jesus. And not only is this a future mes message about Jesus and about Jesus' birth, it's also a future mes message that hasn't yet happened about Jesus' return. So it's really a pretty stunning prophecy. And here we have it, Zechariah uh, chapter 6, verse, 11, uh, verse 12 and 13. I'm just going to take a, a shortened version here. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which I don't normally do, but... I just liked the way it came out in that version. And it says this, thus, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, this is kind of loaded language, and it kind of needs some help in explaining, unless you're an expert in ancient literature. But the branch is one of the names of Jesus, which is why you'll see it in capital letters. And we get it from another prophet, uh, from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch, bearing fruit from the old. And it's like, wait a bit, there's layers here. This thing's loaded. 
Okay, so the branch in the one hand is just a natural imagery. You've got a stump and you've got a branch coming out of it. But then there's a loaded imagery. This branch is Jesus, and this Jesus is going to come from the stump, and this stump is Jesse, which is the line of Judah, which is King David, which is the prophecy that Jesus had to come from King David. I mean, it's just like, wow, this thing. So anyway, let's get back to Zechariah. Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place, from his place, and shall build the temple of the Lord. Wait, Jesus is going to be doing something about a temple and building the, the priestly side of things. There's going to be some aspect to the branch, the temple. The temple's purpose, obviously, was to connect God with humans and that humans could experience the love of God. And then verse 13, It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. Okay, so in the natural, in this prophecy, it's the physical temple. It's the second temple. Uh, Zechariah is a post-exilic prophet, meaning as the people were coming out of exile and they're rebuilding the temple, and Zechariah was encouraging them to rebuild the physical temple. He's also talking about Jesus, and Jesus saying, I am the temple. You know, kill this temple, knock this temple down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus talking about his uh, resurrection. And it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. Wait. <laughs> this prophecy is also talking about Jesus being a priest and this prophecy is talking about Jesus being a king and it's talking about at the time that Zechariah was giving it and it was talking about Jesus' birth and it was talking about Jesus' return. I mean, this is just like awesome stuff. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Wow. Okay. So from Jewish culture, you couldn't be both the king and the priest. There had to be two separate uh, lines. And Jesus comes and he said, okay, I'm going to collapse these two. And as we know from the unfolding of the story, as you read the Gospels, all the disciples, they keep pressing in, Jesus, please be the king, like now. And, you know, Jesus is saying to him, listen, I'm going to die. I've got to go to the cross. And they're like, okay, okay, but like, just be the king. And then when Jesus finally resurrected, they're like, oh, will you be the king? And Jesus is like, well, not just yet. And we're like, okay, so wait, there's something more. And if you were in the awesome services that Stephen and Sarah did before that, one of the things we spoke about was Advent. Now, Advent is a popular word in Christian circles. And Advent, uh, as it was well-defined, has two kind of parts to it. The one is the, the past, Jesus' birth, and this whole idea of the coming of Christ. And you think about it historically, where we're sitting today, and it's like, okay, Jesus already been birth, born. So, if you were Jewish in the time the Bible was written, it's like, okay, I'm looking forward to the expectation of the Messiah coming and the birth of Jesus. And there's this expectation. But we are living at a time when Jesus has already been born and we live in Advent, the second coming, the expectation of Jesus' return. And so for many of us, we live as a kid and as an adult. 
As a kid, we're saying, let's just enjoy Jesus and Christmas and the experience of his birth. But at the same time, we have to put on our adult uh, intellectual heads and say, wait. But at the same time, there's an expectation that Jesus is going to come again. And that's the other part of Advent. Are we equally excited or do we have the same kind of anticipation that Jesus is going to return? In a similar way to the way the Jewish people said, okay, but you know, it's been hundreds of years. We've heard about it. Like, when is Jesus the Messiah going to show up? And then when he shows up, they're like, well, is this Jesus or not? I mean, is this the Messiah? Or maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But in a similar way, we live in that same confusion. We're saying, Jesus is going to return. Are we aware of the signs? Do we know the, the prophecies? Do we, but, the, but when Jesus returns, the expectation is this, that Jesus will be king and Jesus will be the priest. Not only will Jesus be the priest, Jesus is the sacrifice. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to be the priest. I'm going to live it out. I am the lamb. I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'll be the 100% king. I'll rule with power. But I'll be the lamb, meaning I'm going to be the, the, the ability for average people to connect with the love of God and experience a life of completeness and fullness. So, you know, the Bible closes uh, with the book of Revelation. And in the last chapter of Revelation, we really have the Easter story. Because it's the Advent story. It's the expectation of the return of Christ. I mean, this is what, what we're hoping for. This is Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for, for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. And then quoting Jesus, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy in this book. Look, I am coming soon. There's this expectation that we have in our hearts that Jesus, please come soon. This world is not the way it should be. There are problems. Lord, we look forward to having complete peace. We look forward to you ruling with justice. Lord, we look forward to complete healing. And we're having total normal relationships, healthy lives. Uh, we look forward to perfection, the way you wanted it to be all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We look forward to it being the way you designed this world to be. Please, Jesus, come and make it right. That's our expectation. And so at Christmas, we live with that and we long to see that. this series uh, we've spoken about a gift exchange 
And so the exchange of the gift, if you would, what the gift that Jesus has given us and the gift that Jesus will be giving us is the gift of a king, a king who will rule righteously. Uh, the gift that God has given us is the gift of Jesus, who is a priest, a priest who actually lived his own sacrifice, who died so that we could have relationship with God now, that we could experience God's love, that we could pray and expect God to do things in our lives, where we could pray and say, God, what is it that you're doing and how can I be part of that? Where we could say, God, you are super mysterious. I, I, I can't figure you out. But could you just like show me a little bit about what it is that you're doing in my life or in the lives of those around me? And then with great joy and with great surprise, we realize that God actually does that. And he reveals himself to us again and again and again and again. And the natural response is, God, I want more. I want to know you more. I want you to help me to unfold some of these mysteries. But there's a sense that when we're with God and we have the peace of God with us, that we want more. It's magnetic. It draws us to Him. And so there's the sense of God, we're looking forward to more when you come, when you return. And so Jesus' gift to us in this gift exchange is what He's already done and what He's about to, to do. The real question for this Christmas service is what is our gift to Jesus? What is our gift to Jesus? How do we respond to this? And how do we even come up with a gift? I mean, what does that even look like? What is the exchange in the gift exchange? Well, if you want to follow along in your bulletin insert, I, I've got three thoughts here. And the, probably the starting point of the gift that we can give Jesus is just being interested in Jesus. I mean, that's a gift. That's our gift to God. Where we say, God, you know, you are mysterious. I, I have lots of questions, but I'm interested in you. I, I want to know more about you. And the way that we start um, unfolding that gift or unwrapping that gift is by reading the Bible. We have an interest in what God is about and who He's about. And as we read the book, as we read the Bible, we realize that the Bible is a bunch of stories in different decades, in different continents, in different places of how people, ordinary and extraordinary people, have experienced relationship with the living God. And it's no, there's no like one size fits all. I mean, the way Abraham experienced God and the way Moses experienced God is totally different to the way you and I experience God. And yet we see like whatever person you want to pick up in the Bible, they, they've experienced God in their own way, whether they've been a prophet or whether they've been a disciple or whether they've been somebody that just happened to hear Jesus preaching. But there's an interest in us. That's the first part of our gift to God is experience is expressing an interest in God, the Word of God. Uh, the second part of our gift would be not only expressing an interest in God, but a willingness to respond to God. 
You know, you can get stuck in your gift to God as you try and unfold, like, how do I respond back to God? You can get stuck at the sort of the first level of just unwrapping the gift. You read the Bible or you read a little bit of the Bible. But unwrapping the gift is not the same as experiencing the gift. Uh, you know, most gifts have some sort of purpose to them. I mean, whatever the gift is for. And so when you read the Word of God, the next aspect of responding to it is to do whatever the Word of God is asking you to do. And here's the awesome thing. The awesome thing is this. It's the Spirit of the living God which breathes on the Word of God, which directs you to do what God wants you to do as a response to God. I mean, it's different for each one of us. But God is asking you to obey Him. He is asking you to respond to Him. He is asking you to say, read my Word, it's a living Word, it's going to create a response in you, and respond the way the Holy Spirit is asking you to respond. So our unwrapping of our gift to Jesus, to express an interest, and then a willingness uh, to do whatever the Word of God or the Spirit of God is, is asking us to do. And you know, if you look at some of the awesome topics, awesome passages, I'm not going to unpack them all, I've just listed them for you there. But I mean, one of them would be, you know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's saying, okay, respond to God. I mean, just live your lives as a living sacrifice, you know, worthy to God. Take on that response. But the third point I want to mention here as I wrap it up is just this desire for more of God. The greatest gift we can give Jesus in response to what he's given us is the desire to say, Jesus, I want more of you. How can I get more of you? How can I experience more of you? How can I obey more of you? And as we read the Word of God, as we obey the Word of God, as we ask God for more, it builds. And it's our gift to God. And God just loves it. He delights in it when we delight in Him, when we focus in Him, when we orientate our lives around Him, when we live in obedience to Him, and God gives us more. And it's an ever-enlarging circle. And there's this desire in us to say, God, we desire for your return. We desire to be close to you. We desire to be able to fully understand you. We desire to experience your love totally. We desire for our lives to be perfect. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want to give you. That's what I want you to look forward to. And he gives us the help in the interim to hold on and to wait and to deal with all the imperfections. So let me just end it there. Why doesn't the worship team come on up? And we just say, Jesus, I, we just delight in this Christmas story that you came as a baby, as a human, where you were fully God and we could experience you in your humanity, knowing all the time that, that you were totally different. And so, Lord, uh, this Christmas, we just try and get our arms around the fact that you know each one of us personally, that you want to give us the gift of life, the gift of spiritual life, the gift of meaning in all the things that we do, in our work, in our kids, in all the connections that we have. You want to be involved in it, and you want to breathe life into it. And Jesus, we respond to you and say, yes, as risky as that sounds sometimes, and as challenging as that sounds sometimes, and we give you our 
hurts and our disappointments and we give you our expectations and our joy and we, and we wrap it all up and we say, God, this is our gift. We just give it to you. We give you our lives. And we just say, Jesus, we want more. We want more of you. Show us, guide us, empower us, heal us, strengthen us. And we just thank you, Jesus, that you respond and say, yes, yes, yes. In your name, Jesus. Amen.